Hello and welcome to Get It Started, Get It Done, the Banyan Security Podcast covering the security industry and beyond. In this episode, our host and Banyan's Chief Security Officer, Den Jones, speaks with FBI Special Agent Scott Hellman. Scott has been investigating cybercrime with the FBI for more than 14 years and shares with us some of the key threats facing organizations in 2023. We hope you enjoyed Den's discussion with Scott Hellman. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to what I think is now episode 14 of Get It Started, Get It Done, Banyan's lame attempt at podcasting. Um, or, or maybe if, if we don't do well selling software, then we're going to have to fall back on this one. So glad our software is good, I guess. Uh, so uh, I'm Dan Jones, the host. And today I've got Scott Hellman from the FBI. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about cyber security from 2022, what happened any observations they had as well as 2023 and how can you protect yourself and engage with the FBI. So Scott, welcome to the show. I'd love for everyone's benefit. Can you introduce yourself? So I don't butcher it. (laughs) Sure, absolutely. Uh, As you mentioned, you got my name right, Scott Hellman. I'm a special agent or supervisory special agent with the FBI. I've been in for about 15 years and I sit in Silicon Valley in South Bay of San Francisco Bay Area and lead a team of cyber investigators. Awesome, awesome. So as as I mentioned, you know, this is one of those easy conversations, I guess, especially for you guys. Um, 2022 was an interesting year. Um, you know, so I, I, it's hard to summarize it in, in five or 10 minutes, but could you, could you share just a little bit about the themes of, of 22, uh, what you guys were seeing and, and that kind of thing? Well, absolutely. Uh, just one thing to touch on. I know, as you and I have talked before, uh, that you talked with my boss, Elvis Chan, in a previous episode. And so I think one thing that's going to be very different about talking with me versus talking to Elvis is that I love haggis. And Elvis <laughs> not. Uh, I had a neighbor back when I lived in Virginia who was Scottish and introduced me to two things. One was a proper scotch and the other was haggis. Uh, and, and it was, fin- I, I had never had it before and it was during Burns night. So we, we, uh, we had a blast. So I think that's going to be at least one. <laughs> that's one difference. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, um, I hear people all the time, you know, they, they kind of think haggis is crap or they, they're scared of it. They're, they're even just scared of the thought of it. Yeah. But yet there's so many cultures that have like a, a blood sausage pudding or something mm-hmm. of that similar nature. Um, and I, I think it all generates from the whole, the use of the sheep's stomach, which yeah. or the lining, which, you know, these days, not a lot of people really do that. But if you get a traditional haggis from Scotland, then yeah, you're getting, you're getting the full experience and, and, and with a good drink, I, I, I would say it's probably a better experience. It was, it was pretty fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, so let's jump in. So 22 was a bizarre yeah. year or maybe a busy year. So do you want to share some of the, the thoughts and the insights that you guys had on this? Sure. Um, I think we'll, I'll touch on three, three things that really come to mind. And the first is we saw a lot of non-technical workarounds to MFA, as of course, multi-factor auth has been pushed so hard in the last, you know, maybe five to 10 um, by both uh, security professionals like yourself and, and from public industry like us, when we're talking about best practices. Over time, it, it has 
become adopted very ubiquitously across a wide range of internet services. And of course, cyber criminals have to be, figure out ways to get around that. And it is relatively, I think, challenging to take a technical approach to, to getting around multi-factor auth, compromising keys and, and that thought. And so the, the mechanism that they've chosen more often than not is some sort of social engineering approach, whether it's a direct social engineering with an employee uh, that has access to keys or social engineering uh, to, to convince someone to click on, you know, a, a multi-factor prompt. Um, we've also saw, seen a lot of SIM swapping to gain access to people's phones through 2022. And it's certainly, I wouldn't say unique to 22, but it, it is something that continues to increase. And so that would be the first thing is I've seen a lot of social engineering. Uh, maybe just a quick story, if I can throw one out there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a victim company give us a call and basically had a an internal, let's say, uh, uh, help desk style employee. They received a call from someone claiming to be HR. And basically they said, hey, Dan, you know, whatever the person's well, I'll just use your name. Hey, Dan, uh, my name's Scott. I'm calling from HR. And unfortunately, someone has reported that you have posted racist statements in an online forum. And it is, I think it is such a, a, an interesting choice because of there's been so much additional awareness about, I think, racial sensitivity and thought in the last mm -hmm. multiple years that I'm thinking about how I would feel if I were approached with that situation. And, you know, people that I talk to about this is that you're immediately so tunnel visioned on, oh my gosh, this is, it has to be, you know, some sort of mistake, but this is a serious problem that I'm going to have to deal with immediately. And so it brings that sort of sense of urgency to the situation. And of course, the next piece of the, the social engineering was, look, I'm sure that this is just a mistake. And this is probably pretty easy to fix, but we, we've got to investigate all of these things. And, you know, the laptop you're using right now, it's a company laptop, the, all the, the things you signed when you first came on, basically you don't, you know, we have we have the right to, to gain access to that laptop. So we're going to send you this link. We're going to do a, a quick remote access and just take a quick peek around for any evidence of, you know, the words that were claimed to be used, this, that, and the other thing. Hours later, when the employee finally realizes this is not reality, it's it's far too late and 5 million pieces of PII are, are out the door. So, yeah, wow. I just think that's a particularly interesting one. We saw this. In the last yeah, time. that's, I mean, and, and it's funny because, and I think, <clears throat> one of the calls i was on with elvis um you know he does this kind of weekly call thing with the team and stuff and one of the calls he was he was sharing somebody i think was sharing that conversation and i was like shit, yeah this is like you're getting to a point where the social engineering is becoming so good that as humans we can be trained on what not to do and what to do yeah, but the, but the adversaries are are getting so clever because half of them know what we're being trained on anyway. You know, it's like oh, check the from email address or check this or check the spelling and for sure, it's like holy crap. But that's the basics, and they've gone far beyond the basics. So it's it's as you say, you know, creating the sense of urgency with something which in our society has become a moralistic thing and big topic. Mm. It's it's huge, you know. So. Yeah, it's it, it's a shame, you know. The, the, I think the thing for us is, you know, I'll always validate and call back the HR team or something like that in this scenario, right? Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, it's funny. Yesterday, I'm 
I'm selling something on Marketplace. Oh, don't even get started. I, I was just a guy. Myself. Yeah, so I've had, it's funny, I'm selling an antique clock and I've, I've been caught out in a scam on this one. And, and I remember telling Elvis about it and he's just <laughs> like, oh my God, yeah, there's nothing you can do. And ultimately it was like, pay this to get the ship in or do this. Uh -huh. and do they that. overpaid they, you to get the money back. Yeah, and and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Now, luckily enough, um, Venmo recouped the funds. But but yesterday, some guy reaches out and he's like, I'm going to sell you some money. And I'm like, cool. I said, the money has to clear before I'll allow pickup. I feel like and you guys have mind Dan, in the last two days. <laughs> he's like, I've just emailed you. So I'll look at my email, but I'm in my bank account and I'm looking at Zelle in my bank account. I'm like, the money's not arrived. Nope. And then I see this email and, and it's instantly Google Mail or Hotmail, whichever one I was using, caught the email as spam mm -hmm. and threw it in my junk folder. And I just looked and I glanced at it and I, I took the screenshot and I sent it to the guy and I went, clearly a scam. I went, you need to improve on, on, on how you're doing this. And but and, and it came from a random Gmail account, uh, but yep. and it had all the Zelle stuff looking great. And sure. if, if if you weren't a paranoid security person, you might have been like, "Cool, you know, click, let me click the link in the email to validate the the money transferred." I'm Absolutely, like, Geez, yeah. It, it's so it's frustrating beyond belief. Yeah, it happens. So, so twenty two. I mean, it's it's funny because there there was a lot of a lot of friends of mine in companies that I respect and stuff um, had had some issues and stuff. And I think it doesn't matter now. You know, you can have a great security organization. You can invest millions and millions and millions, and we're playing Russian roulette because ultimately, all it takes is one employee to click a link, and, well, and then that that could be the start of it. Well, I mean, you bring up, um, I think, another piece, which is you've talked about, you know, basics. You've talked about training. What I think this is maybe a piece that you were planning on talking about later, but I think it feels pretty organic to talk about it now is when you're talking about social engineering, you're talking about phishing. You really need both, I think, to explore both technical solutions and look at human training and awareness campaigns. You absolutely need both. You can't have one without the other. If you don't have enough technical tools to reduce the footprint of the malicious emails that are getting in front of your people, your statistics are going to be too high. Of It's just too likely that someone's going to click on something more often. Yeah. And so your tools, the various ones that are, you know, there's many of them out there. And obviously we can't endorse any one particular tool, but tools that are designed to reduce, let's say, the number of phishing emails that end up in front of an employee's face, you're still going to have some that get through. Yeah, and no, absolutely. Make sure that your employees are being routinely just, you know, drilled about thinking, having that really needs to be in the forefront of their mind. And it's a very challenging problem because we're all being tasked to do more with less all the time. I don't care what yeah. industry you're in, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's it. It's right. We're going to do more, more work with less resource. And at some point you get overwhelmed with a million emails in your inbox and you're getting pinged on Slack. You're getting pinged, you know, on whatever platform. And it becomes really difficult to stay present and paying attention to what you're doing in the moment. And think about, you get to the end of the day and you're tired and you're like, I got to crank through these, these last, 
40 emails quickly so I can get to, I don't know if you have children, but you know, or, or you know, yeah. my child's game or whatever it's going to be. And, and that I think is where we're most susceptible is we're not really engaged in what we're doing in that moment. We're not, we're not being present. And we, I talk yeah. about lunch. It, it, it's presence has come up a lot in the last multiple years. COVID was, was so intense and still is in many respects. And people are just, they're not, their mind is somewhere else and thinking about how that plays a role in just reading email and phishing, I think is just a really interesting thing to, to consider. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, for us, um, you know, we, we engage with a lot of customers and a lot of prospects on where in the supply chain or the kill chain is, is a company like Banyan going to help, but where, where do we not help? So from a defense and depth strategy, there's no one vendor that's going to do it all. So from a vendor scenario, and and it's funny because I, I I got a slide deck that I've put together for conferences I'm presenting at this year. Yeah. And I'm, I'm and, you know, so last year I spent a lot of time talking about zero trust, and then mm -hmm. you know it's a nice buzzword. You know, if you're playing buzzword bingo, brilliant. But this this year it's all about the why. Why do you want to do something like that? How are we being attacked? Yeah. And then how and where may these kind of principles help you thwart the attacks? That's right. Because like you say, you know, if you kind of think of it like the the, the email comes in, you click the link. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we, we've been working on like DNS and URL filtering. There's many companies that do stuff like that so that when you click the link, it's not going to go there, right? Right. And, and our password lists or device registration or device posture you know all of these things for us they're they're things that we we've been working on for a while and and talking to customers about because the reality is is some some of these attacks if you've got the right strategy from a defense and depth perspective you, you can certainly reduce it i don't i mean I'd, I'd never tell anybody you can eliminate it but you you could certainly reduce it um and now 2023, Scott, where do you see, so do you just see a much of the same continuation of 22 or any any surprising new thoughts that, that you guys are coming up with? Um, I think it's a combination of maybe not surprising, but it's going to be some more the same. We're going to see more ransomware. We're going to see more uh, hack and exfil and extortion as sort of a, not replacement, but an addition to ransomware, just seeing more of that because it's, I think maybe a little bit easier to, to hack and, and steal and then try and extort in exchange for not leaking, as opposed to going through more iterations of trying to encrypt and go through the infrastructure you need, even as a criminal organization to manage keys and things like that. Um, I think we're certainly gonna see more phishing you know, 300,000 phishing reports we had in this past year, that's going to continue wow. to be high. Uh, BEC continues to be on the rise. You know, from 2017, we had, let's say, $1.7 billion in loss from BEC. Then $1.8 billion in 2019. I think, um, yeah. So $1.7 in 2018, $1.8 in 2019. I'm probably missing missing the numbers here. Anyway, in uh, yeah, in 20. 2021, it was 2.4 billion. That's wow. the key piece there is this huge jump. And then we've got 2.75 in 2022. And I think about why we might have that huge jump during COVID and how COVID may have played a role. 
<laughs> and I think you, you think about fishing and BEC and how, you know, part of the, the reason why it works is creating this sense of urgency, like we just talked about, having this change in business practice where we're asking someone to send money to point B instead of point A. And then oftentimes the sense of confidentiality in many phishing emails, look, Dan, this is really important. I'm yeah. trusting you with this information. You can't tell anybody about it. And you think about what was happening during COVID and you've got all of those things, a constant sense of urgency. Like, Dan, you got to run out and get some toilet paper before it's gone. Um, or yeah, run we've out. Done, you know, we get, we, so I was going to say, we get like our CEO, like most, most executives and companies. It's funny. It always surprised me how executives are like, oh, I don't want to do the blah, blah, blah thing that everyone's been told to do from a security perspective. They don't want to do it because they're too cool for cats. Mm -hmm. But yet they're the ones, they're, they're the ones that are on the high value target list because they usually have some some great juicy stuff to steal. And yep. our, our, our um, team often get text messages or emails mm -hmm. masquerading as a CEO. All the time. That, that, that I'm at a conference and need your urgent help blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's, it's right now. It has to be right now. Yeah. Always a sense of urgency. <laughs> yeah. So like those, those things combine, right? They're, they, they, they match up nicely with each other. There's urgency, the constant change. Like we were changing nonstop through COVID. So people kind of got used to an expected change. And then the sense of confidentiality, like what better way to prevent people from saying like, Hey Dan, did you, did you get the same email that I got? Cause it used to be, if you're in person, you stick your head over a cube wall yeah, Add a little bit, even a little bit of friction of everyone being isolated in their homes. I think probably, you know, I'm, I'm I, I can't say for certain, but I, I look at those factors and I think, man, that made phishing and BEC just that much more effective. Yeah. Um, I think two another thing that's really going to continue to be a huge, which we saw in 2022, is a lot more crypto theft, loads of it, and use of crypto, and then for sure AI being used on both attack and defense. No question. I think yeah. that's going to be really interesting to see how AI continues to be used to craft malware or, or you know, whatever it's going to be, as well as being used on the defense side to protect against it. Yeah, and I certainly, from an AI perspective, it seems like in the last six months, but definitely um, in the last month, I've you know I've heard a lot more about AI being used to write code, to execute code, to make decisions about code writing. And, and, and it's getting pretty alarming just on how rapidly that's advancing, you know? For sure. Yeah, I used to I, I used to think about IoT. You know, when I worked in Adobe, one of the teams that were responsible for all of the collaboration spaces, I, I, I go in, he's giving me the tour of the spaces, like, yeah, Dan, look at, look at these lights and look at this and look at this. And he went, and, and that's on the, the network and this is this. And I'm just like, oh, shit. <laughs> and I'm like, like you're, you're just bringing in stuff and stuff and stuff. So, I, you know, we started to, to kind of work with, with that team just on how could we look at the tech that they were bringing in from an IoT perspective. Sure. Because you're dropping it. Now, the other thing was, well, could we create a separate network segment just for this IoT classification of devices? Which which we were doing with facilities and some of those teams. It's anyway. almost like a dirty network because it's 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 coming up so fast. Who has the time to sort of to vet these things out to see what's going on? It's like oh, yeah. I just had sixty four light bulbs into my house. Yeah, and and but then the hard thing is they want their laptop or tablet to connect to other devices. 
that are you know a similar classification and it was just a gnarly <laughs> a gnarly thing now in 2023 so what's i mean we, we talked a little bit about guidance for people to keep themselves safe or to protect yeah. themselves more um so i i i'll rattle off a few things that, that we always think of you know passwordless is great mfa's mfa's table stakes i mean for me that was the table stakes 10 years ago but MFA passwordless, um, I I like the thought because it plays well with our company story, which is you know device posture and even a registered device. Mm -hmm. So the one thing is is you can't log in as me from China because yep. you're you're not on my devices and you've I've registered them. So I, I like that. That's right. I love I love getting rid of VPNs. I mean I've been talking about that for many years now because VPNs usually give full access to a network. And that's never clever. So, so what do you, you saying? Get rid of VPNs. What's your alternative then? Is just only use cloud services, and so you're going direct to the service? Well, no. So the the cool the cool thing is funny. So in 2017, I, I my Adobe Enterprise Security team we done a zero trust project there. We, well, we we called it Zero Trust Enterprise Network, and we took all the internal applications and we put them behind a reverse proxy. Mm -hmm. um, in those days, we used F5 APMs. Um, now, now Adobe shifted to use Banyan's product, which is kind of cool. But ultimately, you're publishing the app, the service to the to the internet, and making that accessible, but behind a, a bunch of security stuff. Hmm. So you've got other controls that protect against cross-site scripting or other other security issues that are pretty common. Um, and and the cool the cool thing about that is. You didn't then, and, and we've done this before COVID. So the great thing is when COVID hit, 40,000 people went and worked from home and they didn't VPN in. They were still using the apps that we published via our, mm. our Zen platform. But in order to access the app, you had to have a registered device. Sure. You had to meet a minimum security posture. Right. And you had to have a certificate and not use a username and password. So we were doing cert-based auth with MFA, with mm -hmm. device posture and the registered device. Then you get in and you're still going through the firewalls and the sure. layers of security, but you're not accessing the whole network. All you're sure. doing is you're just, you're only accessing the apps we published. Sure. Um, the other thing and, and why we shifted to Banyan is because sometimes you actually just want to access a lab, like a small subnet or sometimes you want to access servers or infrastructure. Like we, we had our bastion hosts and you'd go in and you could access a bastion host and then from there go to infrastructure. Um, so <laughs> extra layers, but, mm. but because we removed the VPN stuff and the password stuff, it made the friction a lot simpler, you know, it's a really smooth experience for the users. Well, I guess the, uh, obviously the frictions on the front end is getting it set up. That's that's where all the, the horsepower is going to be is is getting that infrastructure set up so that oh, yeah okay. well the good the, the good news I mean the Adobe the Adobe story we we done it in seven months I mean that was from ideation to POC to full forty thousand deployment two thousand apps that's pretty amazing um, and all we had to do was I mean we done integrations with Okta and some of the other stuff, but sure. the FI APMs we put them in um, AWS VPC. So with with Banyan though, I mean we done we done a customer in a week. 
the other week. I mean, we with a customer, and that was like ten thousand users in a week. Yeah. Um, because you can put you can put the reverse proxy technology, the gateway thing, as a cloud service. It's a hard yeah, to apply. Sure, sure, sure. So it's, it's kind of cool. Um, anyway, so I don't drown everyone with Kool-Aid nonsense. Um, <laughs> what what do you see? I mean, what do you think? Um, people should be thoughtful of from a strategy perspective as they go into 2013 and then try and deal with these attacks. You know, I'm, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go back to basics because not, I think not every company is going to have necessarily the, the resources to have such a robust security posture that you just described. And so I'm, I, I see still plenty of intrusions occurring f- uh, uh, from a compromise of basics, right? So making sure that your basics are buttoned up yeah. from a, a smaller, medium-sized company standpoint, those are things that are still very accessible to you. We're talking about password management, just like you mentioned, patch management uh, and basic. We're talking about employee training. We still see three of the main vectors for, for most intrusions are going to be compromised credentials from somewhere, right? Uh, we're talking about ex- exploitation of known vulnerabilities. So that's going to be patch management and then and phishing. And that's going to be a combination of, again, technical and sort of human training. Um, and it's, it's we're talking about defense in depth. Those are just like the bare minimum that I think, again, are very accessible to most companies to find a solution that's within within reach. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it is funny because I, I talk to so many people about the basics and, and it's alarming. I think Elvis shared something with me a while last year about stats on companies in the Bay Area that haven't fully MFA'd themselves. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's that's an alarming, an alarming number of people. And all I said to Elvis, well, at least I've got job security because I've spent, you know, 25 <laughs> years doing identity and, and access management and stuff. So I feel I feel fine there, but I'm <laughs> alarmed. I'm alarmed that the companies that, that haven't fully done this and because because if they haven't done it for their basic employees, then what's their stance on privileged? I mean, if you kind of think about it, it's like have they only done privileged and not the rest of the employees? I mean, sure. So so I, I I'd be nervous for some of those guys, but yeah, the basics. I think there's too many companies haven't haven't taken care of just the basics, and 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 spread themselves thin because I think when people think of I'll do a security program, they're like. Right, let's do instant management, vulnerability management, blah 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 blah. blah. You have to do the whole thing, and you can't you can't do it all. No, so, that's a huge endeavor. You bring up the perfect point, which is you can't do it all, but you've got to start somewhere. And it almost doesn't matter. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of arguments where you should start. It matters more to start, yeah, than it does to spend an incredible period of time trying to lay the whole thing out ahead and have nothing in place or very few things in place. Get started. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure like any other company, nobody starts with the roadmap from, from the very beginning and just lays it out and gets it done. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because the title of the podcast is Get It Started, Get It Done. And, and it's like, for me, it's like, you can't procrastinate all the time on this stuff. You have to start somewhere. And, and then, especially in the Valley, right? There's a lot of consensus driven. Nobody wants to offend anybody and all that nonsense. And I get it, but... But, but that's only slowing down progress and wasting your resource time. So what was really funny for me was 
Um, at Adobe, we had a small team of people that led this. I mean, it was only like four or five people. Yeah. And I increased my headcount by one, and I spent like $220,000. It, it wasn't a huge endeavor. And if you look at the financial benefit for sure. people not changing their passwords every 90 days oh, yeah. and people not VPNing in, um, it, it was huge, you know. Um, so, yeah, so we, it, it easily paid for itself, um, you know, within six months of us deploying this. Um, it's, I guess it's pretty cool. My question for you on that is, is what's the sort of analog then? Even for, for a medium or a smaller company is not going to have 220 grand laying around to, to do that. What's what's your thought process of uh, where smaller medium uh, companies should start? Yeah, I mean, I think I think and it's funny because we have talked to some companies about doing, you know, a, an assessment or even like security strategy assessments, but or a zero trust readiness assessment, all those kind of things. And, and I think in a smaller company, the important thing is, is look at the technology you have mm. and, and look at the areas where you can spend less time and money. Because if, if you're only half arsely doing, you know, vulnerability management and you're not really scanning and you've not really configured the thing, um, it's, it's like, well, is, is that really the thing saving your bacon? divert resources and funds over over elsewhere the, the good the good thing is you know we we're trying i mean we focus on the small medium market actually so this is the audience that you're talking about and we talk to customers a lot about this you know we're we are and many of the other companies in this market they're not very expensive but but the total cost of ownership i think is the thing that lets a lot of companies down so the conversation we have internally is how do we make the total cost of ownership of our product as low as it possibly can be mm. so that you can install it and you're not caring and feeding it with 10 people. Like you need, you, you kind of need, you, you need the ability to say, look, I don't, I'm not going to increase my head count. I can, I can do this with the team I have and I'm maybe sure. going to spend five hours a week less elsewhere. Sure. But, but, but literally, I've, I've done two implementations, different technology stacks, and it's all focused on users, access and resources and services. And the, the biggest thing is find a really small use case. And for a company that's less, less than 50 people, yeah. we actually offer a free product. So oh, I think I think some other companies out there probably do, do something similar, but mm -hmm. less than 50, it's like, come on, let's get, get it going. And maybe all you've got is a, a team in your company that you, you want to protect them more and it's less than 50. Go have at it, you know? Sure. Um, so, yeah, and I, th I think the big thing, you know, going back to protecting people and stuff is, you know, MFA, do the basics. Yep. And, and really, really train your employees, but then yep. also recognize that, you know, they're, they're going to be caught out at some point so if that point is where they're going to click the link, yep. then what, what can you put in place to prevent that going somewhere? Um, and, and, you know, we, we, we were focused a lot on all of that stuff. And the big, the big thing for me in 2017, what I realized was employees are not all in your office. They're not all on your network. Yep. So if, if they're going to be home, they're going to be traveling, and then 
some some or more of your apps are cloud based. So that that was that was a big thing for us. And and you know we were watching how we were being attacked, and then trying to think of strategies to thwart those attacks. And you know that's where that's where that that investment really really you know came into it. So as as we wrap up, Scott, first of all, I really appreciate your time. But um, F, FBI, you know, you guys, and I know this because because I've I've worked with you guys quite a bit. But you guys have got a great um, outreach program. You're really trying to work with industry. Do you want to share a little bit about that and, and where that's gone? Sure, absolutely. So here in the Bay Area, we've got a private sector engagement team, and their job, of course, is just to to continue to develop and foster relationships with a wide range of, of entities, not just tech, of course, in the Bay Area. Um, but I think one of the most important things any entity can do, when, you know, small, medium, if we're talking about businesses, is just reach out to their local FBI office and develop a relationship with people like me, someone who is uh, helping to lead a team of cyber investigators because for a couple of reasons. One, you don't want to. You don't want that first conversation to be when your hair's on fire, and you, you you're thinking about including law enforcement in in the process in the incident response, but you don't have any relationship. You have no idea what it's going to look like. So you want to be able to have that conversation much earlier, right before before an event happens. Um, also, it makes it very helpful. Many times we'll come across pieces of intelligence through other investigations where we can identify. Oh gosh, it looks like Company X is next on the uh, on the target list for whatever rant, you know flavor of ransomware and if i got that relationship already with you i can pick up the call uh, the phone and just give you a call directly and say hey i've got this you know source and desk ips from these ports and this is kind of what we're seeing hopefully it's something you're able to do something with um i think that's that's really what it comes down to is developing the relationship early so that you have some additional options and you're not trying to make a decision at, at the point of, uh, of duress. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the one, the one thing for me over the years, you know, I've, I've had Elvis come in when, in Adobe, we were doing our insider threat program. Mm -hmm. I had Elvis come in and, and talk to the team just about ideas and approaches that the, the, the FBI have seen working for other companies and giving us guidance like that. So that kind of stuff has been brilliant. Absolutely. And, um, and, and then ultimately, yeah, as you mentioned, right. You don't want your hair to be on fire to be the first time you're having an introduction with someone. Yeah. Um, oh, and another thing, you know, uh, doing business with embargoed countries and stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I, I called Elvis just the other week and I'm like, hey, we've got this scenario. What do you think? Any advice? Mm -hmm. And and then from there, you know, I could act upon that and make sure I'm giving guidance back to the team at Banyan. So I think, I think, you know, there's there's not just like when shit hits the fan, uh, the FBI might want to help. I mean, it, it's for sure. If you get, if you can build the relationship, you're, you're going to yeah. get way more value. And we participate in TTXs all the time with local companies. I mean, that's, that's definitely a, a, a very helpful. I find it helpful because it gives me an understanding of how various different, you know, company and corporate structures work and how their security apparatus works. But it lets you get those reps in, right? What, yeah. if we, how are we going to handle this situation? And when do we bring in uh, the FBI if we choose to do so? So TTX is definitely another another way to do oh, it. Awesome, awesome. So there's um, the local, your local FBI office. Yeah. Um, otherwise, there is a website, right, that people can go and get more information. 
Sure. I mean, well, if you're just looking for general information or best practices, is that what you're getting at? Well, there's, there's, so there's, there could be that. And then there could be how, to, how, how do you get the number for your local or the contact to your local? Oh, I mean, gosh, you can just Google. That's, that's pretty easy to find. It's just Google. Like if you wanted the San Francisco FBI's office, you just Google San Francisco FBI and you'll, you'll find the main number. And then you just, obviously you'd want to ask, tell them who you are and ask that you're looking to talk to uh, whoever is in charge of their cyber program. Right. And uh, that is just a pretty easy way to initiate that relationship. And we'll, we'll take it from there. Awesome. And I even think there's a 1-800-CALL-FBI, right? There is. That's more of a tip line, I think, uh, that yeah. goes to in talk. Um, but you could certainly do that for sure. Yeah. You could give them a tip. Hey, I need help. <laughs> <laughs> so excellent. Hey, Scott, look, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time. We actually managed to go way over what I was thinking. Sorry. Over, but it's, no, it's, it's great conversation. I'm sure there will be people out there that will find this really valuable. And um, thank you very much for your time, Scott. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Dan. And uh, I actually forgot to ask you, if you're in the Bay Area, looking forward to, to running into you at some point. Yeah, I'm in, yeah, I'm in San Jose. So, and, and yeah. our, our office is in San Francisco. So I go between the two places. Sure. Um, and then, as I mentioned, I've got a really crazy travel schedule. Um, I've done a LinkedIn post this this week to say, "Hey, where's Waldo?" Because <laughs> I'm going to I'll be talking at seven conferences in twelve weeks. Oh my gosh, you're going to be all so, over. Yeah, I start off hitting Dallas on Wednesday, and then it just goes from there. So, if you uh, you're down close to us, we're just in the prune yard. So if you want to, oh, cool. you happen to be around, we'll uh, meet up for a coffee. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'll, I'll definitely drop your line. Well, Scott, thank you very much. Uh, let, me end, let me end this recording and then I can start swearing like a Scottish guy. <laughs> Thanks for listening. To learn more about Banyan Security and find future episodes of the podcast, please visit us at banyansecurity.io. Special thanks to Urban Punks for providing the music for this episode. You can find their tracks Summer Silk and all their music at urbanpunks.com.